Heavenly Father, we welcome you this morning. Thank you for gracing us with your presence. Lord Jesus, we welcome you this morning, our Savior, our Redeemer. You took our sins. You washed us clean. Yes, you are so welcome this morning. In your presence, in your presence, there is peace. In there, your presence, in your presence, there is joy. We will linger, we will stay in your presence day by day till your likeness may be seen in us. Holy Spirit, you do you this morning. You do you so much better than we can. You do you this morning. Break through our crusty hearts with your peace and with your joy. I receive that this morning, Father, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, the many faces of grace. What's that mean? You know, we think of grace as a singular thing, but uh, I think the word shows us differently. So when you hear of the word grace or favor, by the way, by the way those are ex exchangeable words. So the word grace in basically means favor. And when we use it in a biblical term, it means usually the way we use it is unmerited favor. In other words, favor not earned. Favor that you cannot work for, you cannot receive, you cannot get by any activity on your own. It's provided free of charge. Well, not totally free of charge. Jesus paid for it. It's free of charge for you. God paid a huge price so that you could be favored. And um, so that's normally what we mean when we talk about grace. Um, but the fact that we have so many people here this morning, uh, the likelihood is that most each one of us has different concept of what grace is, how you've experienced it in your own life. And that's okay, because God is so much bigger than a singular definition so we have to keep that in mind. How does grace and suffering work together? A lot of times we think grace is the, when we're feeling really good and things are always going right. We don't normally see grace as being an operation when things are really sour. We're usually asking for more of the grace of God, but we're not seeing it in operation at the time. You know, as uh, I worked as a teller in the bank, and when we get trained for a possible burglary and someone is pointing a gun at you and saying, give me all the money, they talk about how we get this tunnel vision, and they try to teach you how to break free of that so you can try and learn all the different characteristics of the person robbing you at the moment. 
how high he is, what's he wearing, different things like that. They try to help you break free of that tunnel vision. And when we all find ourselves in stressful situations in our life, we get, spiritually speaking, tunnel vision, and we start not seeing all the things that God is doing in spite of us being in that situation. Okay? So, does grace mean no more pain? Well, on some days, yes, but not on other days. It's kind of fluid that way. That's not what we like to hear, but it's what I've experienced, what I've seen from the Word. Does grace mean you get an endowment with power? Yes, sometimes it does, and sometimes it doesn't. Hmm. You know, Dave, I didn't come to church this morning to get confused. Well, hopefully just sit there and listen and we'll see. Peter says this about grace. In 1 Peter 4.10, it says, As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Aha, I have a scripture for you. The complete Jewish Bible says it this way. Be good managers of God's many-sided grace. Hmm. And the Passion Translation says it this way. Be faithful stewards of the many-colored tapestries of God's grace. So we see from the scripture, it even speaks of God's grace being multifaceted, or how I'm using it this morning, the many faces. Multifaceted, multicolored, all meaning the same thing. Now, the one thing about grace that we can hone down pretty clear, and it's a very important aspect when we do use the word grace, that is, is in complete opposition to anything considered works. We find Paul teaching us in Romans chapter 11. It says, And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But, it, but if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. So they're opposed to each other. Works is opposed to grace as grace is opposed to works. Grace is God's favor without you deserving any of it. So anything that's good happening in your life, you didn't deserve it. But I did this, I did this, I did this, I did this. Yes, all by the grace of God. Give it up. Absolutely give it up. Taking credit for it. Learn to give that to the Lord. Because then that helps increase more grace. So what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to take you through the life of Joseph to show you many faces of the grace of God and how it operated in Joseph's life. If you were like me originally, you thought years ago when I was much more immature than I am now, I'm still immature, just I was more immature back then. So that's called growing, hopefully. Um, I, again, I had the misconception of grace as when things were always going good, then I knew God's grace was in operation. It's God's grace, right? If it's God's grace, things should be going well. 
If I'm being favored by God, it should always be perfect. That's what I'm used to think. You see, grace is not just a simple concept that can be studied or easily defined. And that is because grace is not just a concept. If you take anything away this morning, understand that grace is a person. Jesus Christ is the grace of God. Paul taught us that the gospel is the gospel of the grace of God. It's known as the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's known as gospel of peace. And it's known as the gospel of the grace of God. That is who grace is. You want to understand grace, you have to see Jesus. He is grace. So let's take a walk through chapter 41. That's the chapter we're on this morning. I'm going to give you a brief synopsis of the whole chapter. So, because I think it's important to know where we're at in the story of Joseph at this time. So we already read the scriptures this morning from verses 1 to 8. Pharaoh had a dream. He dreamed of good healthy cows and really sickly cows, good heads of grain and empty heads of grain, and didn't know what was happening, right? Called all his magicians in, hey, someone give me interpretation, no one could do anything for him, right? Now, if you remember last week's story, we heard about Joseph being in prison, and he ministered to two individuals, the chief butler and the chief baker. They both had a dream. Joseph interpreted that dream. His interpretations were correct, and Joseph asked the butler not to forget him. Y'all remember that? Did you see what the first verse was this morning you read? Two years later. That dummy forgot him. <laughs> after he got spared and after he saw the, the excuse me, after he saw the, uh, the other dude get all his head whacked off, he forgot him. He was so excited about being free he forgot about the interpretation of that dream. But two years later, when Pharaoh had the dream, it reminded him of the situation. And so from verses 9 to 3, Pharaoh's butler is now reminding or telling the Pharaoh what happened in prison. So verses 14 to 15, Pharaoh then summons, after hearing this interesting news of this Hebrew slave, he calls him out of prison to come before Pharaoh. So, of course, they're going to have to wash him up and shave him and everything else like that. So he's got to get cleaned up before you go to Pharaoh, right? And so Pharaoh says to Joseph when he's before him, he says, Hey, I heard you can interpret dreams. Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. God will give Pharaoh an answer of peace. That did not just happen. That took years for God to work out in Joseph to be able to answer that way and not take credit for that. So he shares his dream with Joseph. And at the end of that, Joseph says, 
uh, to Pharaoh, the dreams of Pharaoh are one. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. So here's the interpretation of the dream. This is uh, verses 26 to 32. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads are seven years. The dreams are one. And the seven thin and ugly cows which came up after them are seven years, and the seven empty heads blighted by the east wind are seven years of famine. This is the thing which I have spoken to Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Indeed, seven years of great plenty will come throughout all the land of Egypt, but after them, seven years of famine will arise, and all the plenty will be forgotten in the land of Egypt, and the famine will, be, will deplete the land. So the plenty will not be known in the land because of the famine following it, for it will be very severe. And the dream was repeated to Pharaoh twice. The thing is established by God, and it and, will, and God will shortly bring it to pass. So that's his interpretation of the dream. Now, Joseph adds advice to that dream, to the interpretation, verses 33 to 36. Verses 37 to 45, Pharaoh takes Joseph's advice and makes him second in command, giving him his extra chariot, a wife from one of the high priests. That's an interesting concept. Just think of that for a while. Here's a Hebrew, now taking a wife of a pagan god's high priestess. Interesting. Just thought I'd have you rest on that thought for a second. Okay. So he had a wife, and then uh, as he drove around the city, everyone would cry before him, bow the knee. Oh, my God. Thank for, so from pit to prime minister... In 20 years or so, not overnight. All right. So verses 46 to 49, the first part of the interpretation of Joseph received from the Lord comes to pass. Verse 50 to 52, Joseph has two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. Manasseh means, for God has made me forget all my toil and all my father's house. Oh, Ephraim means, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Verses uh, 53 to 57. The second part of the interpretation Joseph received from the Lord comes to pass. So all the countries came to Joseph in Egypt to buy grain because of the famine was severe in all the lands. So that's where this chapter ends. And I want to just give you a quick synopsis rather than reading through it because the focus this morning is on the different faces of the grace of God. And chapter 41 gives us one of those faces. There's more faces to look at. So that's where we're going to start next. Just as a reminder, Peter told us there is a manifold grace of God, multifaceted, varied in its presence. Other translations that I read said, Many-sided grace of God, or the multicolored tapestry of the grace of God. Just when you think you have 12 faces figured out, God shows you six more that you never thought of before. Then after you pursue those six, three more show up in the, 
And after you pursue those three, another 12 shows up later on. I mean, it's never ending. I don't know if you remember the story of Isaiah seeing the Lord high and lifted up. And his, the Bible says how his train filled the temple. The word filled there means to not stop filling. In other words, when God walked in and his train followed him and it started filling the temple, it just kept filling the temple and kept filling the temple and kept filling the temple. That's our father. That's our Abba, our daddy. That's who we get to discover every day. And there's a new discovery for you every day. And if you missed yesterday, he's not worried because eternity's for a long time. Okay? Because now today you can have a discovery and tomorrow. But what happens if tomorrow goes so bad you're not thinking you discovered anything? That's okay. Eternity's for a long time. And there's a day after that as well. And when you get two years down the road and you look back as, at the day you thought you missed God, then God shows you how he was really big in that day. Is that making sense? All right. Multifaceted. So what do the different faces of God look like, uh, the different uh, faces of his grace? Well, grace looks like a dream. Really? If we go back to Genesis 37, 3 to 5, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Also, he made him a tunic of many colors. Well, that's interesting. Uh, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. Now Joseph had a dream. And he told it to his brother, and they hated him even more. What is going on here? Doesn't Jacob know you're not supposed to have favorites? Well, you got to understand the culture. Think back, go back farther than this, the story of Joseph, when Jacob was a young man in pursuit of a wife. Do you remember the story? He fell in love with Rachel. And he worked six years for her father as a dowry to get her, right? And then his father, soon-to-be father-in-law, plays a dirty trick on him and has him marry his, her, the, the, Rachel's older sister, Leah, right? And then he has to work another seven years to get Rachel. Fourteen years taking care of sheep. Has anybody taken care of sheep in here? That's a long 14 years. But Jacob, the Bible says it was just a moment of time to Jacob because he loved Rachel so much. The reference to his old age wasn't that he wasn't thinking right because he's gotten old. It's a reference to actually how much he loved Rachel. And in that culture... Men had multiple wives and lots of children. Well, which children are going to be heirs? The heirs will be of the woman that you love. He loved Rachel. And Joseph, to Jacob, Joseph was his firstborn. 
in that culture. And the dream in the mind of Joseph and his brothers confirmed that truth. It wasn't what God intended, but that's how they took it. So the amazing thing about God's grace is that God doesn't... uh, God's not in control of how you respond to his grace. He might mean it for one thing, and you might take it for something else. He's not miffed. He's got a plan, and he'll work it out. But here, they took it wrong, and they started hating Joseph as a result of it. And so God says, okay. So, but what was the dream purpose? This dream was God's grace showing Joseph that he would be used to save the whole world of his time. But he couldn't tell it. It was a dream. He thought it was for one thing. He didn't spend any more time before God. I know what this means. I get firstborn blessing. And he didn't pursue any further. I've been there. Then grace looks like a pit. So from a dream to a pit. How in the world can grace look like a pit? Well, we go in Genesis 37, 20 to 22. Come, therefore. This is his brothers now speaking. Let us now kill him and cast him into the pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. See, that dream part was stuck in their craw. Okay? But Reuben heard it. And he delivered him out of their hands and said, let us not kill him. And Reuben said to them, shed no blood, but cast him into this pit, which is in the wilderness, and do not lay a hand on him. Now Reuben said that so that he might deliver him later out of their hands and bring him back to his father. The pit was God's grace to save Joseph's life. His brothers were intent on killing him. And so God, in his grace, moved through Reuben to change the situation and put him in a pit, which he was planning to bring him back to his father. That was Reuben's plan. God had others planned, but that was Reuben's. But in a human invention, something Reuben was thinking, God still moved by grace. Amazing that he can do that. Can you imagine if he did make it back to his father after being in the pit, what would happen? So that's why grace looks like slavery. So grace looks like being sold into slavery. Every time I say that, it bothers me. It doesn't make sense. In the culture we have now and what we've come through as a country, that's got bad taste. How can that be? Well, this is thousands of years ago. Let's keep that in mind. But now he's in a pit. And if Joseph was allowed to get out of that pit to go back to his father, he'd tell on his brothers. And what would Jacob done and destroyed all of God's plan for Israel to become a nation? That's a possible thought. That's plausible. Highly plausible. And so rather than letting him out back to his father, Genesis 37, 28, 
Then the Midianites, that word there, Midianites, there we go, traitors passed by, <laughs> excuse me, so the brothers pulled Joseph up and lifted him out of the pit and sold him, into, sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver, and they took Joseph to Egypt. There's no way he could be sent back to his father. God had to find another path to bring the dream to pass. And he did by being sold. Doesn't make sense. It didn't make sense to anybody then. The brothers are trying to get off from killing him. Joseph didn't make sense, you know, to him, I'm sure. The trauma of it all. They would have to trade him or kill him. God's grace made a way that would not only preserve Joseph, but all of Jacob's family and most of the known world at that time. This is God working through the worst of it. You gotta be able to stop now and look in the past to all the worst of it's of your life and realize that God has been working. And if you can't see it now, you should start asking, God, show me how you worked in that season of my life. I don't understand what you were doing. I still don't understand this day. You know, God's not afraid of that. He'd prefer you come to him with that question than all the, our fathers and all the glory bees that you can say. That was kind of a Catholic reference. I was raised Catholic. That's the only thing that popped in my head. So I hope that's okay. But all the canned prayers that you can think of, he'd rather you come and say, God, I don't understand what I'm going through now and I don't understand what you did five years ago either. He'd rather you say that to him. That opens up the conversation. It shows God you want to hear. You want to listen. And what a gift God's given us to be able to listen to his voice. He says, my sheep hear or listen for my voice. That's a gift from God to be able to do that. To be able to get into your quiet place, to open up the word and hear it from the word, to sit quiet, hear it from the spirit of God, or even to hear it from other brothers and sisters speaking into your life. Or even from a complete stranger on the side of the road who you might stop and give $10 because he's got a sign saying, I need hotel money. There is no way. So God made a way through his grace. Not only does it look like being sold, but it also, grace looks like being bought. He was bought by Potiphar. Now we see in the word, actually wording now, showing that grace is starting to show up on the scenes. Verse 39, verse uh, verse 39, chapter 39, verses two and three. The Lord was with Joseph. Someone say amen. Oh good, you're still out there. I saw bodies, but I wasn't sure if it was silhouettes. (laughs) All right, there we go. Get the laughter going. It helps the juices in the brain, helps you think. That's good. So the Lord was with Joseph, and he was, success, he was a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all he did to prosper in his hands. 
by God's grace, a master, a human being that bought him would see Joseph's giftings. Potiphar could see that the Lord was with Joseph. God made Joseph, made all that Joseph did to prosper, yes, but he went through a pit to get there. Okay? He went through a pit to get there for things to begin to prosper in his hands. Just a good thought to have when you're in the pit. Right? So not only that, grace looks like a prison. That's like going from the frying pan into the fire. Right? Dave, it's not getting better yet. You said this is going to look good and happy and prosperous. Well, that's chapter 41. We're in 39 right now. Got two more chapters to go. Right now, you're in prison. Why is that grace? Well, let's read the story. So, verses 20 to 21. Then Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy, and he gave him favor in the sight of the the keeper of the prison. So here we have more wording that shows, but the Lord was with Joseph, and now we have the word favor in the sight of the king's keeper. Why is that the grace? Why is prison showing the grace of God? Potiphar had the right, when his wife shared with him the lie that Joseph was trying to seduce her, and we all know the story, right? But when, jo- when, when Potiphar's wife lied to him and sh- said that this Hebrew slave tried to seduce me, Potiphar had the right to run him through with a sword or a spear or have him thrown to the crocodiles instantly. But he didn't. Why? God's grace. Potiphar... Anger was rose because of the story. I don't think he was angry at Joseph, honestly. I think he was angry at his wife. I think he knew who his wife was. I think this isn't the first <clears throat> servant that she tried to seduce. But he couldn't lose face. So instead of running him through, he put him in the king's prison, not the ordinary person's prison, which would have been pretty bad, I bet, compared to the king's prison. So there's got to be a difference. I haven't studied a lot on that, but I'm assuming there is. So prison was the grace of God in action. Potiphar could have executed him on the spot. Once again, God gave Joseph favor in and through those around him. Are you always looking for God's grace to come, you know, miraculously, supernaturally, which are, it does come. But don't let that just be the focus because it's, he's going to be using all the bunch of people around you to bring his grace, right? The people you are at work, your boss, your coworkers, your neighbors, especially that neighbor who has a dog who doesn't know how to go in their yard. Yes, see, she got it, whoever that was. All right, there we go. 
So that's grace, allowing God to use other people to speak into your life. And even to be able to look past in the past and say, hey, I saw God moving through that person. So it can look like prison. Grace looks like doing well in bad situation. This starts making sense. This is more what the type of grace that we've heard of or we've been thinking of. So verse 22 to 23, and the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hands all the prisoners who were in the prison and whatever they did, it was, it was his doing. The keeper of the prison did not look into anything that was under Joseph's authority because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. So we are not told how long this was, but grace, but the grace of God will help you make the very best of a bad situation. No, no long, no matter how long it is. The grace of God is there. This is connected to how we're told to count it all joy when we fall into various trials. How is it humanly possible to count it all joy? It isn't, so stop it. There is no course, there is no book, there is nothing that's going to help you break through the barrier of counting it joy when everything is really sour around you. It takes the grace of God to do that. It takes you looking unto Jesus, who is the author and the perfecter of your faith, to reach out to him and say, Lord, I need your help. I want to count it all joy. I want to do well in this bad situation. I need your help. Show me how. It requires that and allowing him to work. And grace not only looks like other people moving in your life, but grace also sometimes looks like you. God's grace looks like you. What do I mean like that? Well, it's, uh, in last week we read in uh, verse 8 of chapter 40, and they said to him, this is the butler and the uh, baker, we each had a dream and there is no interpreter of it. So Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell them to me, please. So they told him, he interpreted, and they all came to pass. What's this mean? You will be used by God as a gift of grace for someone else. And a lot of times that happens and you don't even know it. Sometimes I just have a thought to share with somebody, an encouragement, just, just something that looks very menial to me. But I think the Lord wants me to share it with someone. I'll share it to them and they'll look at me, tears will well up. And you said, you don't know how much I needed to hear that. What just happened? I was used by God to be a conduit of his grace for someone else. And every one of you fits that category to be able to be used that way of God all the time, even in the worst situation. Some of you know my testimony. This will have to be brief. But back in 2013 and 2014, I was in nine months of deep depression. In that season, I was asked to teach at a young adults meeting. And I, I agreed to it because I said, Lord, you said to be, in, be ready in season, out of season. So I said, I'm definitely out of season, but I'll go teach. I said, I have no idea what to teach. In fact, I completely forgot what I taught. 
completely forgot what I taught until um, the person who invited me um, shared with me what I taught. Because her invitation, it's a long story, but her invitation to teach at that meeting was a catalyst for God to bring me back into his presence. So I equate that as she saved my life. And on her wedding day, I shared that with her. But I was too blubbery. I couldn't go any further. So she, called, she and her husband called me back on their honeymoon to find out what I meant about how she saved my life. Well, I said, your invitation to the meeting. Um, and she goes, and I said, I don't even remember what you taught. I don't even remember what I taught. She says, Dave, I remember because it saved my life. Yes, that's exactly right. That's the grace of God flowing, ebbing and flowing through our lives from others to others, from God to God, a constant ebbing and flowing with one another, learning how to do life together. So grace flowed from Joseph to Potiphar, to the jailers, and now to his fellow prisoners, and then to Pharaoh, right? We are always desiring to experience God's favor towards us. But do you want to know what's better? If you start to desire to experience the grace of God leaking out of you towards others. You know, we're all cracked pots, right? Why not own it and start leaking the presence of God? Leaking the grace of God to others. Leaking the love of God to others. Go to God, get filled up, and leak. It's the best thing ever. Because when you empty yourself out, guess what you get? More of God. That one who has a train that never stops filling the temple. That's who you know. That's eternal life. This is what Jesus said. This is eternal life. I don't know if he said it that way. That was kind of dramatic. But that you know him who sent me. This is eternal life. That you know him. Not know him in a concept. Know him personally. That's who God desires us to be. So grace looks like being called up out of prison. Well, hello. We all know that one, right? But let's just read the, what Pharaoh says to him, verse 39 to 41. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Inasmuch as God has shown you all this, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be over my house and all my people and shall be ruled by according to your word. Only in regard to the throne will I be greater than you. See, the Egyptians, their pharaohs were gods. And so he wasn't going to allow Joseph to be called a god because then he'd have to fight him and kill him or something like that. So he said, you're going to be 
main ruler, just, you just don't get the throne part. So he's speaking that. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, see, I've set you over all the land of Egypt. Now that's the grace of God. Someone say amen. All right. But so is the pit. So is the prison. So is being bought and sold. It's where our perspectives are. And when we keep our focus on Jesus and allow him to speak and show us. Sometimes we get to experience the conscious presence of God's grace. Sometimes. The conscious presence of God's grace is when we see healings happening, words are given that speak into your life. Someone tells you what you ate for breakfast in the morning and they couldn't have known. And then all of a sudden your arm is healed because of it. You know, the miraculous power of God in going. Everything we experience of God is because of his grace because there isn't a person in this room that deserves it. I don't care how much time you've been in the Bible. I don't know how many devotions you've done, how many fastings you've done, how much prayer you do, all good stuff. Someone say amen. All right, it's good stuff. But it doesn't earn a thing for you. Now, it might give you rewards later on. That's another story. But I'm talking about now, the here and now, with the grace of God. You can't earn it. It's not of works. But many times we get to experience the unconscious presence of God's grace. That's where we need to learn how to be excited about that as much as the conscious presence. See, the conscious presence of God's grace is for you. God is trying to bring pleasure into your life. He's trying to let you experience his peace and his joy and his love. And he helps you experience that in the unconscious presence of God. That's where God is helping you to learn how to trust him in that time because trust brings pleasure to him. That's what God wants. Your faith is more precious to God than all the refined gold on this planet. Just your faith and trust in him. More precious. Hmm. What's he willing to do for it? We'll have to ask him. The path of grace is this, and Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. So if Jesus needed to increase in grace, so will you. Someone say amen. Yeah, you get more. But the thing is, when you got saved and born again, you received 100% grace. God made you acceptable in the beloved. You have 100% status of grace with God. And guess what? There's more. This would be a good Pentecostal moment for me to say, and someone say more. more. Yeah, see? <laughs> and all those who said more, you got more. Now, I'll say this again. Someone say more. more. Yeah, there was more. Okay, good for you, the ones who caught that one. But there's more. You got 100%. You start off with 100%. And God said, there's more for you. How do we get more, Jesus? How do we get more? Give it away. That's right. Give it away. Because when you give 
you receive, pressed down, shaken together, running over when you give. Start leaking what you have because it's 100%. The worship team can come up. Remember, you can't earn God's grace. It's not of works. But giving is an act of God's grace, so it's not your work, technically. My final thoughts, years later, in chapter 50, so number of years, so what happened in the story of Joseph? He, he meets his brothers again. They get reconciled. They bring dad and the family, about 70 in all. They come to live. Pharaoh meets and says, hey, you're an amazing man because you had this guy. Okay, so they give him the land of Goshen. They start setting up camp and start reproducing. So this is years later after Jacob's now dead and his brothers are really scared that Joseph now is going to retaliate for the years of misery that they caused. And Joseph says this, do not be afraid for, I, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant it, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. In order to bring it about as it is this day, to save many people alive. Now, therefore, do not be afraid. I will provide for you and your little ones. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. That right there shows the scripture that Paul reads to us or tells us, and we know all things work together for good to those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. That's a nice saying. I'm sure some people have it a plaque on their wall. Uh, but hopefully, looking at the different faces of grace, you get to say, hey, I can, that makes better sense. I can operate in that. Okay, things are really sour right now. But God, your grace is here somewhere. Help me see it. Help me see it, Lord. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Let's pray. Father, as we just went through your word and just looked at the different faces of grace, Father, as we're now entering a time of worship, I'm just asking that... Uh, the Holy Spirit, just come and make that real to us. Make your grace even more real. If for those who are in a sour time of their life, Lord, just help them trust in your grace, even though they can't see it. Help them reach out to you and say, Lord, I know you're here. Lord, I know you're working on my behalf. I don't see it. I don't feel it but I trust you. And for those of you who are experiencing the conscious presence of God and his grace is flowing and you see it and you taste it, give it away. Start giving it away to others. Ask the Holy Spirit to begin to show you 
who do I give this to? And Father, help us all see that in the name of Jesus. Amen.